Hey, what a do world. Welcome to the Market Banter Podcast. I am, as always, Dion Rabowan, financial journalist. I write the Axios Markets newsletter. Joining me this week, every week, the man, the myth, the legend, NYC comedian, the people's champ, Dan Enfield. What's going on, Dion? How is your week going, sir? The week is going great. I, I am not writing my newsletter tomorrow, so I'm basically off. Got sort of kind of a three-day weekend, which is nice. How about you? You know, just another day in paradise. <laughs> so I'm laughing because our guest for the show today, Joe Bruce Wellis, uh, he, he said exactly that. Exactly, and now, yep. Dan, you've ripped off our guest, so he can't say his own uh, intro right. line. I'm saying this is the, uh, the world's first carbon neutral podcast because I think if we say that, then we'll get a lot of sponsorship money, right? That's a great idea. We're, pot, we're carbon neutral, algorithmic based. We're AI, AI uh, powered by electric, uh, electricity only. Powered, powered by yeah. We got electric vehicle. Right. Uh, we're, we're coming out with electric vehicle unit. Uh, it's going to be huge, huge. This podcast. I think the sponsorship dollars are just going to start rolling in now. And uh, speaking of speaking of ripping people off, I like what I did with that segue there. Uh, I want to start today's episode talking about Wells Fargo. We're going to get into a lot. We're going to talk the the market and the economy with Joe Bruce Wellis. He is the chief economist at RSM. Um, Joe's a guy I've been talking to for a while now, one of the smartest guys I talk to, knows the economy backwards and forwards. And he talks to a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, and he kind of gets that, that focus of what the economy is actually looking like from not just the ground, but also from the air. So he's got a bunch of great uh, perspectives that he's going to give us. And then we're going to talk a little electric vehicles. We're going to talk Tesla. We're going to talk Nikola. And we're going to talk a brand new company, uh, Edison, which has just been launched by SPI Energy Co. That helped their stock rise 4,000%. (laughs) 4,000%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, literally. Didn't this happen to Kodak? Don't they cut it off if it goes up more than a certain amount? Yes. So literally what happened, and we're going to get into this. I don't want to give away what we can sell on the show. You have to stay tuned in, listeners. But uh, yeah, the stock was halted for trading, I think it was seven times um, during the course of this. And it did come down. It actually ended the day up by less than 4,000%. But at one time, it did rise 4,000%. So anyway, getting back into Wells Fargo, Dan, you saw the story today, right? Or this, I think it was yesterday. My friend Imani Moise at Reuters actually wound up breaking the story about the Wells Fargo CEO uh, attributing their lack of diversity to a a lack of black talent. You, you saw this show or this story? I did, and, I, and I, I visibly winced a little bit when I read it. I remember I had a twitch in my eye when I saw it come across the screen. Yeah. And the, the thing about it is it's not just that it's racist, right? Like it's it's racist and wrong. The the thing that really jumped out at me about the story was it was like, one, this all started because he had a call, like a Zoom call with all the bank's employees. And they were like, hey, we want to discuss diversity. And it wasn't like he said it on the call to where someone would have to kind of say, oh, I think he said something like this or you would be getting a, a little bit of back and forth, like a he said, he said, or whatever. He put it in a memo. Oh, my God. That he sent out. Oh, my God. So, so it wasn't like the game of telephone where it's like, oh, no, that's no. Bad, or wow. No. 
That's why it's an it's an exact quote. And the exact quote is, while it might sound like an excuse, the unfortunate reality is that there is a very limited pool of black talent to recruit from. <laughs> it's just like, and then, of course, someone on the call who talks to the media, who talks to my friends at Reuters, sent it to them. And then they printed a story because, of course, they did. And then he had to come back and issue this retraction. And I just, okay, I had this theory that Wells Fargo is actually on a mission to destroy itself because there's no way you do something this dumb and this short-sighted at this particular moment in history unless you're actually trying to destroy the company. That's what it kind of right? feels like to so, me, yeah. It's like, I don't know how big their PR department is, but that can't be a fun place to work right now. It, right? And so it's like, if you go back to their fake account scandal, uh, all the way back, and then it was 2016, which was the, where this whole thing started. And then they had a different CEO, and he had to resign. But that it didn't stop there. It wasn't like they created the fake accounts, and they lied about it. They said it was just like 10 people that had done this. And then it came out that no, it was a whole bunch of people. And then it came out that the instructions had come from the top. And, and you know, the CEO had to resign. But that wasn't the only scandal. It wasn't like things went away after that. They had the fake account scandal. And then they had another scandal the same year where they were improperly repossessing cars from members of the military, military oh, wow. families. They're that. repossessing their cars. Yeah, violating the law to repossess their cars. Then they failed their living will test from the Fed. Then in 2017, they had another fake account scandal. Uh, then they were sued for overcharging small business retailers for their credit card transactions. And it's like, if you're going to screw someone over screw over the big boys and at least like the PR hit can be like, oh, well, you know, they could handle it. But it seems like Wells Fargo's, like it was their job or they were trying to go after the most vulnerable people they could, who they knew would generate the most publicity. And I swear there, there can be no other explanation for why you would say this particular thing about the, your lack of diversity at this particular moment in history, right? It is a little odd for sure. <laughs> it's and and this is the third CEO. Like he's not even the guy who did the fake account scandal. He's the guy they hired to replace the guy they hired to replace the guy who did the fake account scandal. Right. If anything, you so would have thought they would have brought in like a squeaky clean, like not offend anybody type guy. Exactly. Right. Because that's who you need. They're having to go testify before Congress. Right. They're having to go before the Fed to ask for you know forgiveness as their living wills aren't in order. And it's, it just, I don't know. I feel like Wells Fargo has to be trying to self-sabotage because there's no other explanation. It'd be kind of funny to see like their next, like their, their, their new CEO training for the next guy. <laughs> All right, guy, uh, don't um, make comments about there being a small pool of talent in the black community and also don't repossess <laughs> people's cars. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure no, like, what the hell am I getting into, you know? <laughs> especially not members of the military. Yeah, especially especially not active military, military members. But not on the heels of like a large, you know, you know, movements and protests and stuff like that. <laughs> right. That's great. Right. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's like that uh, Dave Chappelle pop copy sketch where it's like they tell the CEO, like, make sure to offend as many people as possible. Here's some like. ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, talk about how the transgender community isn't real. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, enough of bagging on uh, Wells Fargo. 
I, the general market economy has been an interesting place the past couple of weeks. And um, I'm really excited that we have our guest on the line. This is an odd segue, so I apologize to him for the very odd segue. But we've got uh, Joe Brusuelis, who is the chief economist at RSN. First of all, let me check. Joe, are you with us? I am here. You are here. And Joe, am I saying your name correctly? I've been saying it for a while, but I've never actually checked that I'm pronouncing it correctly. No, no, you pronounce Bruce Whalen. Say, hey, look, man, it took me five years to figure it out. So I'm impressed you got it that quickly. <laughs> Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. You know, you know how most really easier to remember is Bruce Willis. Oh, wow. Yes. I met, yes. Who I met once, he heard me say the name. He tapped on my shoulder and he's like, that's a pretty good alias. He goes, that's mine. <laughs> right? Because, you know, it's not his real name either. So it was, yeah. yeah was yeah. he a nice guy? Oh yeah, no, real down to earth, you know, real easy going guy. This was this was uh, almost an eon ago, before I think he got very, very, very big in the world. Yeah. yeah wait, what is Bruce Willis's real name? I didn't know that was. I think it's Bruno Kirby, something like that. He's, he's got. Wow. Yeah, he's got a. Yeah, that's not. It's his his uh, nom de guerre, right? I did not know. Yeah, well, because the first time I told someone that I had spoken to you, it was my colleague Felix Salmon. And I was yeah. I was telling him about something that you'd said, and he was like, "Oh, who said that?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, Joe Bruce Willis." And he was like, "Wait, there's an economist named Joe Bruce Willis." Yeah. <laughs> it's like I hadn't even put it together. Uh huh. No, no, that's that's how it rolls. It's all right. That's how it rolls. Uh, Joe, interesting times we're living in uh, right now in the world on the markets. I had just written a story um, yesterday. Actually, it came out. Yeah, it came out yesterday about this, uh, what's happening in the market. I call it the uh, the not enough tantrum. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's related to, you know, a few years ago, back in 2013, you had the taper tantrum, which was the Federal Reserve had said they were going to start tapering their quantitative easing program. Uh, basically, that they were going to push less money and less liquidity out into the markets. Over the course of time, markets went crazy. You had treasury yields going crazy. The stock market kind of had a conniption. And it feels like we're seeing the same thing over the past couple of weeks uh, with the S&P down nearly 10%, the NASDAQ down about 12% coming into Thursday. Um, and it, it seems like it's based on the Fed not saying they're going to do way more and the market just kind of throwing its own little temper tantrum because they're not getting enough. Uh, but what's your thoughts about why we're seeing this kind of – it's hard to call it a nosedive. It has been really, really fast. I think the 10% correction was the fastest we'd ever seen on the NASDAQ. Right. So I think what we're seeing is one is the, the, the residual damage of the soft bank trade being unwound, right? Mm. And, um, and Joe, talk about the soft bank trade just for anyone who Sure. So the, the, the soft bank trade was a, a, long, a tech long trade. That created so much momentum, it dragged in retail investors uh, along with it. And that's really what I think you saw for the majority of the recovery here in the inequities market. But as that trade was was withdrawn, it, um, the counterparties began to unwind. And that's really what was responsible, I think, for the initial correction, especially in the NASDAQ, but also in the S&P and Dow. But what you've seen over the past week or two, I think, is what could be charitably called the end of the reopening trade, which is mm -hmm. it's become abundantly clear as the Fed talks each and every day that they're now putting um, 
overt pressure on the fiscal authority to step up and do more. Right. And as investors, both institutional and retail, realize that that's not likely to happen before the election and whatever comes in its aftermath, you're seeing a general risk aversion uh, move. Now, what's interesting is, is that it's only in equities. And I think what you're going to see is a building up of cash positions because you really haven't seen uh, too strong of a bid, uh, say, on the 10-year, where the 10-year yields right. largely been stuck right around 0. 0.6, 0. 0.67, 0. 0.68. Yeah. So this is right. really Usually, interesting. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, usually uh, investors, when they sell the stocks, they go into bonds, but you're saying they're not doing that right now. They're just kind of selling out of stocks and you think going into cash. They're going to cash. And part of that is the retail investors unwinding those those very interesting and aggressive trades that you saw prior to the restarting of college football and NFL, where those fellows will, will be betting and speculating as opposed to stocks, ah. which, which so is a really, really important question here, actually. <laughs> wait, no, no, I mean, wait, hold on a second, Jeff. Hold on a second, yeah. Let me just ask you, so you're saying that, that retail traders are moving out of stocks and into safe haven uh, gambling bets, is basically that's, what you're saying. I, I really <laughs> think that's part of it, because if you watched Barstools Sports, if you watched Robin Hood, uh-huh. you know, from spring into summer, all of a sudden you saw a big movement of retail investors in the market that just hadn't been there, right? And at first, if you turned on, say, CNBC, no, no. No pressure on them. I love them. They have me on all the time. I'm very thankful. (laughs) Shout out to CNBC. The retail investor to come back. And I thought, well, this is interesting. They're coming back in the middle of an almost depression. Yeah, I don't think so. And then, you know, by early summer, it was like, well, no, these are young men who bet on sports. We're now betting on stocks. And that's what everybody replaced gambling as far as where they were getting their. their Yeah. Right. No, no, no. And I think there's something there, right, to this. Mm But clearly over the past, you know, 10 trading days, institutional money, uh, real money traders have come in and they're pulling back on risk due to what's going on in the political sector, in part. Yeah. And and how much do you how much of that do you think is attributable to uh, the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and this push by Republicans to nominate her replacement before the election? Well, I think the first four trading days of this week have been impacted on the margin due to the untimely death of RBG and the coming to grips with, okay, we're going to have a serious issue socially and politically that likely Mm. will spill over into market space that could cloud the outcome of the election. I, I mean, you know, usually we don't like to stray too far into politics because it's such a sensitive yeah, that point, but you have to, <laughs> right? You just right. have to, and it, and it is. Um, and I'll, t- I'll tell you, you know, you look at uh, Nate Silver's column in the New York Times talking about if the election swings two points in Biden's way, it's a 400 electoral vote victory. And most mm. people who I work with in the market, they tend to be center right or far right. That's traditionally right. been the case. But they see that, they get a little bit spooked. Now, I personally think that mm. if you take a look at what Biden's proposing, say the Biden scenario, you're thinking about trillions of dollars in fiscal aid, another trillion or two in um, stimulus, and then probably two to three trillion in infrastructure. We can set up a whole portfolio around that and do quite well. Yeah. And so the that's, market that's, will, will adjust going forward, I think. I've heard a lot of that from investors. But the thing that I've also heard, and my colleague Dan Primack has been banging this drum pretty mm-hmm. hard, 
uh, is that the capital gains tax proposals that Biden has put out, if he won or if it looks like he's going to win uh, going into November, you could see a real sell-off because investors are going to want to lock in those 2020 gains so they have to pay less money in taxes, right? They can pay this 15% capital gains instead of like 30 or 33% or 35% capital gains next year under Biden's plan. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that? You're going to see a, a knee-jerk reaction to any any prospect of a Biden victory. Capital gains is one thing, largely going to impact short-term um, mm-hmm. traders, but that's a, that's a big portion of the community. And then the elderly who may want to cash out at more favorable rates. But with most individuals having a more medium to long-term perspective, I'm not so sure that's that's really going to be that important other than over say a month or two, right? Okay. So I think yeah. the second thing is, yeah, if you're thinking oil, energy, and banking, those are the sectors that would likely bear the burden of adjustment when it when it comes to a prospective Biden victory, if we get yeah. there. But let me ask you though, I mean, do you think that you would see a serious sell-off? I mean, would it would it be something that would really spook the market to the point that we get, uh, maybe not anything like we saw in March, because that was just crazy, okay. but Maybe a ten percent pullback, fifteen percent pullback in the market. If you see, you know, a likely or a certain Biden victory with this "quote unquote" blue wave, as in Democrats taking the House and the Senate. Okay, so here's where I've been in this game long enough to know that the verbal stunt pilots who work on Wall Street are really talking about their year end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not really right. talking about a sell-off hurting the economy, stock markets, mm-hmm. not the economy. Right, right. We're just going to be talking about somebody's fourth quarter and year in compensation that could get hurt if there's a sell-off and they don't get out in front of that. Okay. That's fine, right? If you guys are in that business, yeah. I, I feel you. You know, I've been on that side of the equation. I get it. But I'm a I'm a living, breathing, card carrying economist. That sell-off's not going to hurt my economy. All it's going to do is result in reallocation but... of capital. Yeah, but I get it, right? I, I do. I, I feel for people who are working at say Citibank whose year end is going to be hurt by this, right? <laughs> I, oh, wait, hold on really a second, Joe. Yeah, I got I got to push back on you a little bit there, though, because the stock market I think has real implications, not necessarily for people's lives, but for politicians, especially in D.C. Right? I think one of the reasons we haven't gotten a second coronavirus stimulus is because the stock market has done so well, and that has actually hurt a lot of people. I think. Because they, you know, while we could have gotten the extension of this unemployment, uh, enhanced unemployment, we could have gotten maybe another $1,200 check sent to people. Now we're not getting that and we're not going to get that. And a lot of that's because the stock market has done so well. And maybe you have that same sort of deal. So if there's a huge stock market sell-off, maybe there's some negative repercussions in Washington because of that. So I hear what you're saying, given the current configuration of power, right? That That's exactly. definitely true. Now. If we're thinking about a sell-off because there's been a Biden, Biden victory and you look at the data and the way this is trending, the Democrats will be taking over everything and the emphasis placed on the stock market from a policy perspective will go and smart money will, have been, will immediately begin pricing in, again, fiscal stimulus, excuse me, fiscal aid, fiscal stimulus and infrastructure, right? Mm. And then that, it'll, just, it'll just change the composition of where money flows. Um, because, I mean, if indeed Trump leaves and well, we can leave aside all of the crazy stuff that people talk about all day, every day on cable. But if yeah, there's a, a transfer of power, right, 
and we mm -hmm. get a new administration with new priorities and it's a unified government, we have a very different situation. Um, you know, and then you want to have exposure to, to construction. You want to have exposure to residential investment, right? You want to have residential exposure to, to renewables. Mm. All right. Dan, by the way, you got any questions there, Dan? I, I've kind of hogged the conversation. No, it's all really interesting stuff. I mean, a lot of it kind of goes over my head a little bit, so I'm just trying to absorb it. Well, then jump in there. What's Ask Joe a question that's on but Basically, your... you think that if Biden wins, I'm not saying that you don't say it doesn't matter, but that if Biden wins, it's gonna what's going to drive the market up is more stimulus or, or the prospect of more stimulus coming because the government will be unified. Well... Well, yeah, we're having another taper tantrum, essentially, because they're not getting their fiscal aid checks. Well, if Biden wins, you're going to get fiscal aid checks, right? I think you can't have right, it both yeah. ways, right? I mean, it's got to be one or the other. So this is where we are at now. I mean, Dion nailed it right yet in his column yesterday. The fiscal aid's not in train, therefore we're selling off, right? But then the same guys start talking about, well, if Biden wins, we're going to sell off further. Wait a second. You just told me you're selling off. Because you're not seeing the fiscal aid go, the folks. I mean, we have 30 or close to, to actually 26 million people is the new data on some form of unemployment aid. Of that, there's 11.5 right. million who are on pandemic assistance unemployment. I mean, we avoided a depression because the fiscal and monetary authorities acted, acted with unprecedented speed, depth, and breadth. But we had a depression like shock, and you can see that in the labor market, right? Mm. So there's just going to have to be more aid. Um, and, and there will be. And I think it'll come you know, fairly quickly after the election. Yeah. Joe, real quick, before I let you go, because I know your, your time is valuable. I don't want to keep you too long here. But last question I'll ask you is, what is it you're hearing from your business contacts right, right now? Because I know a lot of small businesses are hurting. They want that, that next <laughs> round of whether it's PPP or some kind of money for small businesses. A lot of big businesses are hurting too. I know the airlines went begging to Congress again this week. Um, what are you hearing right now from, from your contacts? Okay, well, this is serious as a heart attack here. So we're not going to make any jokes about this. Firms that have revenue bucket between 1 million and 10 million are in real danger that uh, we're going to lose a lot of those firms. Um, the firms that got PPP loans between 1 million and 10 million and 10 million and 50 million, those PP loan, PPP loans are going to have to be forgiven. The majority of them will never be paid back. Mr. Powell, been quite transparent in a way Ben Bernanke, Janet Yellen, and Alan Greenspan never, never have been. These firms need fiscal aid. The fiscal authority has to step up. Um, for those who are out there listening, if you can get to look at the Yelp data that identifies just how many firms are likely to go out of business in the next six months, Take a look at that because that's a, a good proxy for the small businesses out there, not necessarily the mid-sized businesses. What you're doing much better, and it looks like they're starting to come out of the recession, but it's those small businesses. And at the end of the day, when we talk to you, we always talk about you know two things. One is, is that no vaccine, no meaningful recovery. Second, the economy is operating at 80% capacity. That means 20% of 20, 20, 20 trillion is not operating. That's essentially the size of the UK economy, right? We have a real problem, and we're just starting to dig out of the abyss. So there's a lot of heavy lifting in front of us. And I think that's a good way to sort of end the process here, and the, the podcast here is saying, look, 
we really have to turn attention to the small business and medium-sized business community because if we don't, the economy is going to be impaired much longer than it has to be. Mm. Yeah, all right. Joe Bruce Wellis, uh, series is a heart attack. I'm going to leave on that note. But thank you so much for being with us, man. I really appreciate Way that. Way to go, Joe. Anytime, guys. That was fun. All right, that's Joe Bruce Wellis. He is the chief economist at RSM, uh, dropping some knowledge on us there. Um, and yeah, man, this is the thing that I've been I've been banging this drum for a while in the newsletter, just about small businesses really hurting. And uh, it's been interesting to watch because the number of bankruptcies have been particularly low compared to like 2009, 2008, 2007. Mm-hmm. But a lot of your small businesses aren't going to declare bankruptcy. They're just going to shut down and stop operating. Right. And I'm wondering, Dan, have you seen a good bit of that? Like, yes. I feel like there's a couple businesses in my neighborhood that have just like that have shut down. But it hasn't been just like an apocalypse, which is kind of what I was expecting. Yeah, I know. A lot of people I know have uh, shut their doors and don't appear to be reopening. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not. I mean, even been, even like by my work, you know, I think I, was, I said this on one of our first podcasts. You know, you, you could get an iced coffee on you know every block pretty much, but now you got to walk like twelve blocks in Midtown, you know, just to find a coffee shop that's that's open. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went and hung out with a friend in Midtown um, a couple weeks ago, and it was it was just kind of like, what happened here? Yeah, it feels. Like I live in Harlem and Harlem feels like Harlem, but when you go down to Midtown or some of those more business oriented parts of town, it definitely feels a bit like a bomb went off here. Yes. Yes. You know? Like the upper uptown, like I was in the Bronx, uh, the South Bronx earlier today, and that was pretty lively. I think like the residential areas that people maybe are just working from home still kind of feel the same, but anything like a Midtown where it was predominantly office buildings is just, you know, like a tumbleweed right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Moving away from small businesses to some big businesses, uh, we got to talk a little EV as we're trying to find, uh, we're, we're launching an electric vehicle as part of the market banter uh, package. So <laughs> no, we're going we're, we're we to exhibit. Re- Remember exhibit from the, the Pit My Ride? Yeah, <laughs> from Pit My Ride, yeah. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to come out and, and, and deck out our first uh, market banter. Deck vehicle. out our... Yeah. Our market banter electric vehicle. Make sure you say electric vehicle that runs on AI technology uh, with our proprietary algorithmic trading. Um, but the reason that we make all these jokes about how ridiculous it is to uh, just start an EV, this company, SPI Energy Co., which I talked to our electric vehicles reporter the other day about this, and she was like, I don't even know what that company is. Uh, they announced that they were launching a new electric vehicle division called Edison, and their stock immediately went up 4,000%. I said I would wrap this story up at the end. So after the seven stops, I think it was, or maybe it was four, it was one of those two numbers, uh, the stock ended up rising 1,200% on the day um, and finishing, it started the day at about a dollar, and then it, it rose to $47, and then it ended the day at $14. So it was really funny if you were an investor who had bought into this stock. Like if you bought in before, like if you just for whatever reason owned SPI Energy, right? you did really, really well yesterday. But if you bought in at the wrong time, you just got torched by thousands of thousands of percentage points. Crazy. Like if you bought in at the top of this thing and rode it to the bottom – 
you lost so much money. And a lot of these retail traders are probably buying this and probably just getting killed on margin calls. Um, or got even worse, like if they just bought outright. Well, actually, no, it'd be worse if they bought on margin. But yeah, I can just imagine a lot of retail traders right now are getting cooked because we're seeing a lot of volatility, a lot of moves. And maybe Joe's right. Maybe they are just going back to uh, the sports betting. It's a lot. Well, is it less dangerous? I guess it's less dangerous if you do it online, right? Through NewJersey.com. Not, not if you bet on the Raiders. It's not less dangerous. <laughs> did you bet on the Raiders? I actually, I, I actually did. And I actually won 50 bucks. <laughs> oh, all right. That doesn't sound dangerous yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But usually the Raiders are, uh, you know, it's a coin toss. Yeah. Yeah, you're all in on the Death Star and the Raiders oh, on that. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> um, in addition to SPI Energy, but I, the real story in electric vehicles is this company, Nikola. And they came out. They're a new electric truck company. Basically, they signed a new deal with GM worth $11 billion um, that they, they basically kind of gave away part ownership of the company to GM in exchange for like uh, making parts for them or helping them with some of their batteries and things to actually make their cars or their trucks, excuse me, run. And they were exposed, quote unquote, as a giant fraud by this short selling firm called Hindenburg that, uh, that put out a report on them and basically said like everything they put out in their commercials is a lie. Um, they're a huge fraud. It was a 10 page paper. And the, the CEO, the founder of the company was like, no, this is all lies. This is fraud, blah, blah, blah. And they were the fraudulent ones. And then he stepped down on Monday. Uh, and then his cousin accused him of sexual assault Ooh. on Tuesday. Yeah. Is this, guy related <laughs> yeah. To, is this guy related to the Wells Fargo CEO? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems to be the same kind of like self-shot-in-foot. Uh, but Nicola... It was this. It's one of the, another one of these companies that just came out of nowhere. Doesn't actually sell anything yet. Has made a few millions of dollars. Loses hundreds of million dollars a year. But had a market cap when this whole thing started of I think it was twenty billion or thirty billion dollars, and that's now been cut in half. But the really super interesting thing to me is, short seller comes out says the company's a giant fraud. Uh, nothing that they do is real. The CEO and the founder of the company resigns, steps aside, and yet the company is still worth like half of what it was at the beginning of the week. I don't wild. understand why this thing isn't at zero. Right. That is right. wild. Right. Like, why is this company not at zero? That's what's really interesting to me. Huh. Uh, Probably because there's so much yeah, it, speculation and excitement around electric vehicles like Tesla and other stuff that maybe people just think it'll still somehow survive, you know? That's that's got to be it. I mean, maybe because right. it, it was down eight percent today, and it's just like what what more could happen? Like, who's still buying here? Who's still like, oh yeah, giant fraud? CEO right, retires, right. resigns, gets accused of rape by his first cousin. Uh, <laughs> buy, yeah. Let me take. I'll take some shares of that. That is pretty wild, yeah. And I, I want to know like what triggered the other company to call them out as a scam. That was interesting to me too. Like, was it insider information? Yeah. You know. So they, yeah, they said it was insider information, basically that some people from the company had approached them and provided them with some information. But also Hindenburg Research is short. They're betting against Nicholas. They're, they've actually made a ton of money. Uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal the other day about Hindenburg and the founder of that company. 
And, you know, their their bet is paying off because Nikola stock has been sinking like a stone. So if they bought at the right time, like they could be up pretty big. But also there's just not a lot of Nikola stock out there because it, it's a small company. Most of the stock is owned by insiders and presumably they're not renting it out to mm. short sellers. Maybe I should look into shorting stocks because I'm always skeptical of everything new, you know? Yeah, see, no, that's the problem, though, because you're skeptical of everything, yeah, so you would just want to short everything. Yeah, you know, much like you were saying about Zoom, you know, people, it's annoying how people think Zoom invented, like, the, the video call. I find that, you know, Tesla's annoying because the electric car thing has been around forever, but it's like, you know, they didn't invent it, you know? Right, right. And they don't even actually sell that many cars, but their stock is up, I don't know, still it's something like two or 300% this year. It's down... This week, crazily, it, it started, let's see, over the past five days, it was at $448, $448 a share on Friday, and it ended the day today at $388 a share. So it's down pretty significantly, but still, for the year, up just a ridiculous amount from even after the, the stock split. So electric vehicles, I mean, I'm not really sure why this is the thing that gets you a 4,000% jump in your stock price, but it does. It's right. the hot new thing right now and everyone wants it. It really is, man. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to end on that note. Dan, you got anything else you want to add? No, I just thought this was uh, another great one in the tank, man. <laughs> another great one in the tank. Uh, that's that's going to do it then for Market Banter. I appreciate everyone tuning in. Got to say thanks again to our guest, Joe Bruce Wellis, Chief Economist at RSM. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another super hot fire edition of the Market Banter Podcast. Cue, cue the bomb drop sound. Fire, man, fire. <laughs>